possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. I'm back in the saddle, episode number nine, and we have a doozy. We have Nick Grossman, CEO and founder of Maverick Medical. Let me give you some background on Nick because it's impressive. Nick has 15 years in the medical device industry. He's worked for the likes of Pfizer, Zimmer Joints, Trans One, and SI Bone. Sales leadership early in his career at both SI Bone and Trans One. He's had Maverick Medical for the past four years. Maverick Medical focuses in the disruptive technology for spine surgery, and they focus on products that deliver improved outcomes, improved efficiencies, and improved economics for all stakeholders. And of course, they go after market differentiating devices, differentiating, let me pronounce that correctly, devices, which is very important. It was an absolute pleasure to have Nick on this podcast for episode number nine. He just brought value to a whole new level, gives a lot of insight, opens the window to the all mysterious world of medical device distribution and kind of unlocks some myths and uncovers some treasures that are located in there. And that's exactly what I wanted to get out of this podcast. And again, very happy that Nick spent 50 minutes of his night away from his kids and his wife to come in and talk with us. So turn up the volume and listen closely. Here he is, Nick Grossman. Okay, Medical Device Unleashed. I've taken a slight hiatus here, but I'm coming back strong. We have an awesome guest. We have Nick Grossman on, the founder and CEO of Maverick Medical. And we're going to get into what exactly Maverick Medical is and who Nick Grossman is. I actually got introduced to Nick through Brett. And actually, I'm going to be honest with you, I can't pronounce his last name. (laughs) I want you to try it at least. (laughs) Bodiscu? That's actually not too bad, but it's Budiscu. Budisgay, Brett Budisgay, who is the CEO yeah. of uh, Stratus Medical. And so been a pleasure to get to know Nick a little bit. Haven't known him that long, but we're going to kind of dive into to what he's got going on. It's some exciting stuff. So Nick, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Jamie. Anytime. So we're going to just jump right into this pool, Nick. So you own a medical device distributorship, okay? And we're going to get into the nitty gritty of this, but Maverick Medical what are you guys about? And kind of just give the audience a slight overview of just kind of the mission statement, what you guys get up and do every day. Yeah, awesome. So as illustrated by the name, Maverick Medical is built around trying to trudge in a path of our own a little bit. We are always looking for devices, mostly in the spine, but in the orthopedic and pain management space as well, that are paradigm shifting. Some may call them provocative, but we're always looking for ways to kind of go against the status quo, honestly, like a true Maverick. And what we're looking to do is just help surgeons and patients think about things a different way and hopefully get better outcomes that are good for the system as a whole. Our mission was really set out mostly in kind of the Rocky Mountain region where I'd spent a lot of my career. We set out to say, hey, we want to do adoption of new technology that's better for all the stakeholders. So the surgeon, the patient, the insurance companies, and the hospitals that we partner with. It's funny you say just all the stakeholders and everything, because I mean, as you know, I recently started my own company, so my own medical device distributorship. And as you're talking, I'm nodding my head because it's built around the same philosophy. And I think, Nick, what really drew me to have you on and kind of hear your story was that mission statement right there, because, and I'm just being dead honest with you, and maybe you agree or disagree with me, but medical device distributors, you've been doing this for how long, Nick? The distribution portion. We're just coming up on five years now. Okay. So in your opinion, 
Do you think that medical device distributors in some arenas have kind of a shaky name? Yes and no. I mean, I think anybody who's in the business knows really, really sound business models that are maybe not in that gray area or crossing the line at all. But in general, I do think you use the D word. If it's at the C-suite at the hospital or even patients understanding that docs are working with us, that there can be some skepticism. And so we've even played around with the idea, uh, and we can talk some more about this later potentially, but maybe playing around with the idea of rebranding in general what a distributor looks like. It's such a big word. And there's a lot of us who are independent agents who are just repping great lines and taking care of things in a pretty traditional way. And then there's distributors who have massive businesses and they're, you know, very far away from the customer and the OR suite and that type of a thing. And even though we're called the same thing, our lives can be more different. And so we've actually, some other folks and I in the business, we've been kind of talking about, is there a way, even maybe through like a formal certification and or just uh, society to kind of identify those of us who are maybe taking a different angle? I think that would be great. And that's something definitely we can talk about because when I started my company, I had the same vision, the fact that I'm going to change and my business partner as well. We both, we sat at a table and we were like, we want to change the mindset, right? We want to change the narrative that sometimes can be the D word. When you say the D word, like when you're talking to a candidate, and I think the listeners can agree with this too. And I've even talked to candidates where I'm like, hey, I may be looking to expand. I'm a distributor. And then you can just tell that with some candidates, it doesn't matter. But with other ones, they immediately associate oh, I have to pay for my own benefits or, oh, I have to, you know, and some distributors offer different things, but I just kind of wanted to get that out there because I think one of the things we're going to tackle today, Nick, is it's absolutely 100% okay to work for a medical distributor and you can have a very successful career doing it. I want to be able to convey that to the guests here because I I do firmly believe that. I mean, I am a little biased because I do own a medical device distributorship, but nonetheless... Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. It's funny. Originally, I was thinking of a different consumer of the word distributor, less about kind of the job market and more about the customers that I call on. But absolutely, I mean, and I can go back to when I started at Zimmer. I didn't know what a distributor was. I went from Pfizer to Zimmer. And I remember the recruiter telling me it's a distributorship and she almost made it sound bad, right? She like kind of started going into all the negatives. And so just right out of the gates, there is that perception of, you know, can I get from... Jamie at Company Y or Nick at Company X, what I can get from Stryker or Medtronic or something else. And there's different flexibilities that come with being a distributor. And and again, we can get into that too. But in order to even get there and own your own company, I think you would probably agree that you got to start somewhere, right? And so you build your reputation, you build your network. And as you go and get older in your career, I think at some inflection point, there's a time where I think everybody thinks about it. And so at what point, in your career, and this is kind of like a main question I want to ask you, was it like, okay, you woke up in the morning and you were like, I think, you know, this could be something I want to do in two years. Was it like a year thing? Did you vet it out for three years? Like, what was the thought process, Nick? Oh, it's a great question. And frankly, it's kind of loaded because one kind of side point before I go into my process, if I had done it at any other time, I think I would have failed. And I tell this to a lot of young people. I, I had lunch this week with a aspiring device rep. And I just said, Hey, don't get too eager too fast. And I was, and I think you've got to look at your career in medical device, similar to if you're going to become a doctor, a surgeon, if you're going to become, you know, an accountant or anything like an attorney that requires specialty training, 
sales plus understanding what we do medically and how we provide support. Both our own kind of like, and I don't want to like inflate what we do too much, but I still look at them personally as advanced degrees to some extent, but I got it on the streets, right? And there were definitely times when I was transitioning where, okay, do I have enough relationships? Do I have enough acumen to tap into the entrepreneurial side of me right now? And honestly, I think I made the right decision this time because we're doing pretty well. But going back, I think there were things about where I was at at each of those transitions, like when I joined Trans One or when I joined SI Bone or took the management positions, where those thoughts kind of cross your mind of maybe making the move at that point. But I'm glad I didn't because along the way, I got my advanced degrees and things that I wouldn't have had otherwise that I think make me pretty capable now. You said a lot of great things there, man. And as you're moving through, and it's the same way for me, as I was kind of moving through and like you always question yourself. And I think at the end of the day, and I hear this a lot, is the time is never perfect. I think that people that are thinking about this and listeners that may be thinking about doing this, it isn't for everybody, right? It isn't, you know, some people have phenomenal careers and they work for big companies and there's nothing wrong with big companies. Okay. But if you want to go off on your own, I hear a lot of guys say, you know, when I went off, they were like, man, I, I really want to do that. Or that's something I wish I could do. And I, it's right there in front of you, but it's just, it's just a matter of taking the leap. I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I've listened to a lot of things with no time's perfect. I mean, Nick, do you agree with me that if you're waiting for the perfect time, it's never going to happen, man? Well, Jamie, I understand you just got engaged as well. You're getting ready to hit maybe one of these days. And, and it's not too dissimilar to that, to be honest with you. Like there's never a right time to do that or decide to have a child or, or make any major decision. If you're waiting for the stars to align, it's actually probably the first sign that this isn't right for you. You've got to be comfortable with some chaos. The funny story about my timing was I was in management at SI Bone and having a great time. The company was on a fun trajectory. I started to get the feeling that maybe my career was on the next trajectory with them as well. And as exciting as that was, it also made me think twice, like, is that the way to go, right? And so I kind of started breaching it with my wife and with some of my customers and things like that. And ironically, we were getting ready to have our first kid. And he came a couple months early, like two days after I started the distributorship. Of course he did. You know what I mean? It's just the way it goes. And it was a whole bag of challenges that came along with it, but it was a perfect storm. So not extremely similar because I don't have a child, but I mean, I got engaged and literally it was like, boom. And Hey, by the way, honey, I'm, um, I'm going to be quitting my W2 and, you know, going out of, you know, and she's like, huh, you're hey, doing what? You know? You know, right away that you're a crazy entrepreneur then you know, having yeah. to figure it out. <laughs> down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. And like you said, you've worked with some good companies and, and you said it's a front trajectory, SI bone, phenomenal company. You're in sales leadership there. Right. And so, I think that's awesome. And I'm sure that played a pivotal role in some of the things you learned, kind of like you said, like getting your education on the streets, right? What are some things that SI Bone, just in the sales leadership portion that you really apply directly kind of on a daily, so to speak, basis with the distributorship? In general, and people can say I drink the Kool-Aid because I, I still work with SI Bone really closely in my distributorship. But that was just a super well-run company with leaders at the top all the way through the clinical side of things that were really focused on. I mean, it was high pressure. We need growth. I mean, sales was still at the forefront. But the company had this huge clinical mission, keeping the patient in the center. And not that other companies that I worked with didn't, but that was definitely a staple at SI Bone. You pair that with a really good product and a group of people who had been really successful in Spine already. They built a team. They were funded well enough to build a really great team. 
And I tell you what, the six years I spent direct there in both sales and sales leadership, it was mostly just soaking in what other people had learned from companies like Kaifon, other awesome startups who had this model where you had a great product, you had surgeons who really needed to invest some time and effort into getting great at that patient indication and focusing on building a market around them, right? And so that's it, fun. It was a challenge in the OR because it was a new case to them. It was a challenge on the sales side because it was a new indication. They were shooting at a new target, understanding the clinical and diagnostic side. But then it became, once they got to that point and you helped them with that, one, you had like an irreversible bond with that customer. And two, you really had an opportunity to service the local market by connecting that physician with other referrals you know, other referring physicians that had those patients in their practice. And so for the first time in my career, that kind of convergence of business and medical sales that I was looking for. It's fascinating. So explain to the audience real quick, 30,000 foot view, what exactly SI Bone is and what you guys are trying to accomplish. SI Bone is a pioneer in sacroiliac joint fusion. Mark Riley was the founder, serial entrepreneur, invented kyphoplasty, the end bone total ankle, both became first in class in their market. He had an idea as a spinoff from Wright Medical that maybe putting these titanium triangular implants across other joints in the body could help with fusion where they were challenging. Traditional screws across the SI joint really hadn't held up. And so SI joint fusion came out of favor. And so the company had a huge burden of proof to say these implants in that problem is a good idea. And they got it funded. They did a ton of research and we started challenging docs that all SI joint fusions aren't bad. This is an indication that you can identify and tease out in the pain spectrum. If you're shooting at the right target, these are the implants that'll do the job. And that was the message. And they've been doing that. They've expanded now into some other areas of kind of lumbopelvic fixation and and other things just outside of SI joint fusion. But that's their primary focus. Thank you for that. I think it's a fascinating product. I mean, I'm in the interventional pain space and I think the SI joint is just, it's a wonderful area to be. I mean, it's a fascinating joint for how simple it is. It's, It's a complicated joint as well. So that's a fun, fun product. And I know you're happy to have that. I want to say one more thing on that because I'm just thinking of the audience who may be listening to this. I don't want to pontificate too much, but I I do believe that, well, one, the SI joint space is just super exciting, whether it be in spine surgery or in the interventional space. I forecast that there is room for all of these products to some extent, or at least these categories of products. And I think that similar to other spine disorders, there's going to be an algorithm that supports, you know, an interventionalist doing what they do and spine surgeons that I typically work with doing what they do. And I think it's incumbent upon us as consultants to kind of help that process out. I agree with you 100% in every way. So, so SI Bone, what else is Maverick Medical doing? Perfect. Yeah, SI Bone actually was great. They allowed me to go from direct to independent, which is a whole nother podcast probably on finding a company who's primarily direct that will allow you to do something like that. But not a common thing. No, and I'm super grateful that we still have that relationship and, and it's working out great. So we do a lot of Providence Medical, which is a pioneering minimally invasive posterior cervical fusion, along with some other technologies in the works artificial disc replacement and sentinel spine with the ProDisc lumbar and ProDisc cervical are products that we primarily focus on. And then uh, a number of biologic companies. And really this year, we've been running hard with this company called Augmetics, which is a super cool Israeli company. That's the first ever augmented reality interoperative spine navigation system. Wow. What is that called? 
Augmetic. So X-Vision is the name of it. If you haven't heard of it, you will very soon because it's, it's really pioneering how surgeons are able to take a 3D scan, CT scan interoperatively and portray that information into their retinas with a heads-up retina display, along with instrumentation that's seamlessly navigated to uh, navigate instrumentation into the spine. Nothing really blows me away these days. I mean, that sounds amazing, but it's like all the robotics coming down have been in the pipeline, and then you've got this this type of navigation. I mean, anytime, and I think you agree, Nick, I mean, anytime we can make these cases safer, more efficient, and, you know, create the best clinical outcome possible for the patient. I mean, it's that, I mean, that's a win all the way around. So, so as a distributor, and this is a, probably a whole other podcast too. So we do a part two and part three of this thing, but how did you decide or not decide, but even locate? So if I'm a distributor and I'm like, okay, I want to focus in spine. Now you don't have to give me the map on how you did it. Right. But as you did your market analysis and kind of looked at, I have Maverick medical, I have SI bone. What complements each other? You know, how do you evaluate companies? And I know that's a loaded question, but. I wish I could say I was able to be like super selective and just put together this. I, I tell people what I do now and they're like, wow, that's a really cool bag. And it's attractive because if one of the unique things we do doesn't resonate with them, we can usually come out of that meeting with something that does. And I say that with some risk because I do think that if a surgeon says no to something innovative and we just move on to the next product right away, that we're not doing the right thing, that we might be doing them and us a disservice. So we do push pretty hard on the stuff that we believe in, but it is nice to have a portfolio of things we know we can fall back on. But it wasn't that way when I got started, right? I knew I had SI bone. I had a floor to stand on. It was hard because they don't want to, as a direct company, it wasn't like they were like giving me like awesome distributor points, you know, that other, other companies that focus on distributors can. So I literally just started researching about six months before I launched, like where else did really talented people go from companies I've been with? Where are they now? What's their model? And can I get a warm lead? Because really at the end of the day, either if I know the sales leadership, CEO or someone in the C-suite, it's usually a lock if you've done the right thing in your career and you're confident enough to go independent. You should know that you got some people out there that'll go to bat for you. And so I just started kind of using that algorithm of what's doing well in the marketplace and where do I trust people that can give me even a small territory to get started with. And we just kind of started piecing some things out. One of those companies, frankly, was Providence Medical Technologies. We lost a lot of people at SA Bone to them because it was this new cool MIS concept for posterior cervical fusion. And whenever you pioneer, that company has gone through some challenges in regards to reimbursement and how they can market their product and that type of thing. But at the time, it was definitely a company where I had a lot of connections and it was novel. And so we pretty well started with SI Bone and Providence for the most part. And then I was chipping away with like my best relationships to say, hey, pick your company, middle of the line, you know, anywhere past Nuvasive and Globus and Stryker that would give me a doc or two. You know, can we do an ACDF? Can we do an A-Lift? Like, will you throw me a bone just to help this thing get off the ground? I'm going to be servicing you on all this kind of unique stuff in the end. And that's really how it's gone. Since then, once we've been able to kind of show a track record of success and showing some of our launch strategies and stuff, we still have challenges where other really good distributors are either more connected with that sales leadership team or they get to align before I do. But in general, if we kind of set our sights now on something and say, hey, we think there's an avenue for success with this, we can kind of work our way to getting aligned. And Nick, honestly, I'm going to talk a lot on this. This is why I love, I mean, and I love the medical device space with a passion is because, man, it is a performance 
based industry. And when I say that, it's and you were kind of skating around it a little bit. And you were saying, look, you started small with Providence, proved yourself. That's why I love the distribution model is if you prove it, they give you more. But you do have the distributors that will try and land grab, that will try and go out and just grab everything. And I want this and I want this territory. And for the listeners that don't kind of understand the game. So there's a company, Company X. They have very little sales in an area. They'll hire Nick, Nick's company, Maverick, to come in. And this is kind of a very simplistic way to just kind of explain it to the listeners is they'll hire Nick's company to come in, Maverick Medical, and say, okay, you get this usually by Dr. Nick and Spine. I'm unfamiliar with Spine, but... Mostly, the goal is actually to have more territory because then I can legitimately hire someone and say, hey, we have this territory. There's going to be no surprises. Having said that, that's not the preferred model for the vendors. The vendors would really, I call them vendors. I don't know if there's probably a more appropriate term, our partners. But ultimately, they would prefer to say, hey, give us your sweet list of six docs who, you know, whatever, your wives hang out and you guys are super tight. They'll do anything for you. Not that there's that many of those, frankly. But at the end of the day, that's really what the companies want. So usually it's somewhere in between, right? Like we'll stretch a little and say, hey, you know, if we're going to take the time to bring this to our A-list and guys that we know we can get to use it because it fits their preferences, we then will have it approved in this hospital system. And we want a six or 12 month runway where we get a shot at some more of these guys. What I've learned, and I think this is deviating from the question a little bit, what I've learned is the more realistic I am with them about what we can do, the better. I would give any new distributor, and frankly, I've watched so many new distributors come behind me, and this isn't like a super novel model, right? Like there's new devices that you can get a decent ASP on, and they're really fun to cover because you're a part of the program. Like a lot of people want to do that. And so there's distributors who have started after me who, you know, they'll do the land grab. They'll start saying, no, this guy who Nick works with, he'd rather work with me here. Whatever the case may be, right? My advice would be do what you can get. Always fight for you. That's the most important thing when it comes to your business. But on the same token, like you don't want 10 companies to have too big of expectations. You don't want three companies to have too big of expectations for you. You really are better off having modest but realistic expectations for yourself and for the companies you're working with because you can always go up. I can tell you a thousand horror stories of people who promised the moon you know, and delivered, you know, whatever. (laughs) Then their relationship just went sideways. And frankly, I had a couple of those scenarios and it wasn't intentional. It was just, I was only one person and I could only do so much. Having said that today, I actually am more on the side of like, Hey, I don't want you hiring 20 people in my backyard right away, but let's start with these five docs. I want to get experience with it. And if they love it and I love it and we're approved in the hospital system We'll probably make hay with it, but just give us six or 12 months to do that. And they're happy. When you're talking about, and I'm listening to you, you know, talk about your relationships. And, and I've talked about it multiple times on the podcast, Nick, on relationship building and properly leveraging relationships where it's, where it's plausible. I mean, because I think, especially distributors and regular W2 sales reps, I don't care what you're doing. I think that reps sometimes, and I know you'll agree with me is they over leverage and they'll go and they're this doc's this and this doc's my best friend. And then I'm going to, you know, Nick, if you got six guys and you're bringing your top six guys, a new product every, you know, every six months, when you first got started and you first launched, I know it was this, the same way for me, right? When I went and I talked to the docs that I highly respect and I told them, Hey, here's what I want to do. Here are the products I want to carry. You know, what do you think? You know, that's one thing, but when you're in it like for five years, right, you've obviously done very well. And so I think that you can kind of bestow 
some knowledge on the listeners on, I mean, how do you leverage those relationships? I mean, they're obviously good, right? But you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to seem like that guy. As we look at the term distributor, there's two models within relationships even. There's, I worked for a large big box company and, you know, a Medtronic and Nuvasive, and you can only take care of two or three docs really well. And if it's a really busy doc at an academic center doing huge cases, you can only take care of one. But like some distributors literally have like that scope, right? They have their two or three docs and maybe they got a unique product with that line that they get other business from. But like when they turn, they're just turning a couple of docs. My model is quite a bit different. I think it's more similar to yours where we've been offering unique devices to the masses. And while we did develop some very good relationships from the guys who became champions in those products, we had, you know, 20, 30, 40, depending on the product line docs, who would touch that product in a given year. And we value all those relationships very similarly, to be honest with you. And so for me, it was less about like, can I get a couple of guys or gals to really commit to me? Because that's kind of a risky proposition, in my opinion. If you got it, you got it. And that's a great scenario for those guys. But that wasn't the world I lived in. The world I lived in was getting enough positive feedback from people that there was an appetite for a distributor to make the adoption of novel technology more appetizing and less of a pain in the butt for them and their staff and their hospital. And when I heard over and over again that while there's a lot of great distributors in Denver and I I try to maintain a great relationship with most of them, very few were really willing to go out there and take the funky stuff, the stuff that really makes the, the surgeon think twice or the hospital reconsider whether it's a good thing for them and fight through those 10 or 15 meetings to get it going. And so I felt like we had an opportunity there. I'm literally sitting here nodding my head, man, because I mean, everything, it's just resonating with me so hard. I mean, when I started and my, and my business partner contested this too, you know, when we talked about this thing, I didn't want 30 products. Because like you said, you know, you go in and, and you have, you have 20 things that you might do okay. You know, you might be okay at servicing those things. You might know those products a little bit, each one of them. Like we carry three, probably end up with four products. We're going to do those four things very, very, very well. We're going to understand it inside and out. And, and for us, and I'm, and I'm sure the same for you, because you come from SI Bone and you talk about knowing a referral market and you talk about understanding where surgeons business is generated and on the opposite end, where the pain business is generated, where the primary care, but I think, Nick, that stuff is, is just so invaluable because I think people get caught up in their device and their technologies, but at the end of the day, like that's a portion of it. But you got to understand how your physician or your surgeon, whoever you're calling on, how their business operates and works, because that will further increase the value of your products or like your pitch for your products even. Yeah. No, I think that's a huge point. And when you ask the question about how we built our bag, I mean, I, I looked at what you've done and frankly, some of it is just natural, right? It's like, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that these products in this current market with the trends, they complement one another, right? And we can keep several companies. I got really good at doing, you know, a stimulator or a kyphoplasty or something else in this space where this group of people trust me. Could I do that with three or four lines and not lose the quality that they're accustomed to, right? And then you couple that with the understanding of the market. And and something you're saying, you know what I mean, from being valuable from a business standpoint and creative legal co-marketing ways, helping physicians in the referral market educate one another on things that they're doing to increase their business is hard to beat that if you're, you know, if you're a distributor that can continue to deliver that. For me, it's interesting to hear you talk because ever since we got acquainted, 
I've been trying to figure out in my head, how does a, a primarily spine surgeon distributor or glorified rep for that matter, tap into this excitement in the interventional space? Maybe this is a topic for another time. But what's happened to me, even though at SI Bone, to go back to your question, we had a great understanding of what was happening at all those levels. As I've distributed a lot of different spine lines, we have kind of lost track. We've gotten busy enough with what we do, and that's providing spine hardware for spine cases, that it's been difficult to go as granular on the referral market and some of those types of things. And so I kind of just had this thought of, you know, maybe the value proposition to the spine surgeon is that part of Maverick Medical is interventional, but there's huge value in that because we're staying connected. You know, remember those days when we used to at SI Bone, when we used to be out having great dinner programs and referral marketing programs and COVID's killed some of that, but it's actually some of the fact that I've just, I migrated away from that model to some extent. So I'd be curious of your thoughts and if anybody in the audience is listening, I'd love to hear from them as well, just like down the road of like, how does someone who's focused on a surgeon, pain management is starting to focus on some quasi-interventional spine surgery procedures how do we marry that? That's part 19, man. I love the spine space and, and I'm biased because the interventional pain space is exploding. It's exploding with innovation. And so there's just a lot of moving parts and, and the chess pieces are moving around. In interventional pain, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in this space. There's no question about it. And there's absolutely ways to marry it and have everything work in conjunction, like you said. And, and so both sides are really happy. And that's definitely something that we need to talk about too. So this is for the listeners. This is probably going to be Nick Grossman's going to be like a five or six part series here on Med Device Unleashed. So you may want to rethink your model of your. If I'm interesting enough to be on here more than twice, <laughs> you might need a new topic. All right, fair <laughs> enough. I'm going a little bit back. You're talking about hiring. Yeah, it's a topic that gets discussed a lot on medical device podcasts because everybody wants to talk about how to break in. And that's not the question I'm going to ask you because that gets asked all the time. I want to ask you when you're as someone who's been in sales leadership at fast growing companies, how do you hire? Like, what do you look for? Like, just give me like one or two intangibles that you look for, because I'm not going to say, oh, how did you break in? That question gets asked a million times a day on podcasts for medical device. But I want some intangibles, man. What do you got? Well, frankly, it wasn't like I was looking for some unicorn. There's a lot of people out there who are articulate. They show up every day. They work hard and they're likable. And at the end of the day, that's what works in this business, right? You got to care about what you do. You got to show up and you got to be truly interested in what the people you're servicing care about. And I actually made the mistake of hiring a lot of people that I thought were like me because I'm like, okay, I'm young. I got in sales leadership pretty young. This is what worked for me. So those are the attributes I'm looking for. And to some extent, some of those people are in great positions right now and have worked their way into, into some really cool opportunities. But what I learned is you actually need to be looking for just in general people who, if you have a good product, like we've picked with SI Bone or with other companies that I worked at, all you really need are people that show up, that want to work hard every day, that are passionate about winning and passionate about the space that they're in. And if I got the impression that someone was there because this is the next growth opportunity, I moved on because they were high maintenance, right? They were, if it didn't go well, which typically with a new technology, things don't go well for a while, we were going to have issues. And so I was more inclined to kind of step back and say, hey, I don't necessarily want the high flyer. I want the guy who's working his way through his career and on the upswing, is coachable, 
and is willing to just show up every day and do what we ask of them because we got a great product and a great model and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know what I was just thinking? And I got some ADD too. And no, I appreciate that. And those intangibles, you got to have those, right? I'm talking about my business partner. I talk with him a lot about, you know, when we do, because right now, like we're just getting started, right? But when we do expand, those exact things, Nick, are what I'm looking for. Hard work at the very top. Just somebody who wants to get up and get after it. That's step one. Get up in the morning and go. And I can teach a lot, but those intangibles, that's why I asked about intangibles, right? Because you can... I mean, like yourself, you've been around the back, you've been in salesman, you can teach a lot. It's just, give me somebody that's got the basics, that's got the intangible that I'm looking for. So, you know, I was thinking, this is random. I know Denver and specifically Colorado, very, very much health system ran. Can you talk about the importance of being, and you kind of brushed over it, because I know you've done this a hundred times, especially with new products, having the right contacts at the hospital systems being a pro at getting your doctor to be the champion for the product, because I know that's what you have to do personally to, to run this stuff through, right? Because you don't have to, you can't like walk in there as the rep and be like, hey, this is the product we need. Can you help the audience understand kind of the cobweb that is getting things approved in a VAC committee or in a big hospital system? I don't know that I have a very specific formula because it's become somewhat second nature, but that target is also constantly moving. For instance, I used to have this idea that and it actually was the model, pick a product that you know the surgeon's going to be interested in because you know their preferences. Get that product in front of them and most likely and hopefully two or three other reputable docs within the hospital system. And once you have that part done, you approach the hospital system. And for the most part, you still want to make sure it's good for the hospital. But once you have like the kingpin surgeons on board with it, it's kind of an immovable force at that point. And this is me talking 10, 15 years ago. Today's world is actually quite a bit different. It actually has changed the way we evaluate products. And I have to be honest with vendors. Like, if you miss on either, this is better for the physician in regards to patient outcomes, hopefully, or at least neutral in that category. Better from an efficiency standpoint, that could be interoperative efficiency. That could be the amount of time the patient has to stay in the hospital. It could be the amount of workup the surgeon has to do in order for that patient to be a qualified surgical candidate, whatever the efficiency is, it has to hit on that. It has to be reimbursable for the physician because I very rarely, maybe in a very special instance that I have going on right now, actually, we ask for some kind of like, hey, you're not going to make anything on this, but the future is super bright. But in general, like it has to be worth the physician's time. And then if it checks all those boxes, right, you get the patient and the physician, the hospital is not going backwards these days. And they couldn't care less about the software. For the most part, I shouldn't say that so blatantly. Value analysis committees don't care as much about the bottom line as they do the top line. And if you're going to make something more expensive and you don't have literature, level one evidence, or darn close to support the claims you're making in regards to reduction in OR times and soft value, you're likely not going to get approved. And then the kicker is the insurance company, right? So we've kind of taken this and said, hey, while the surgeon used to be able to drive everything, now we look at all three of those insurance and taking the patient out of it, which we don't, but like the three like financial players, the, the insurance company, the hospital and the surgeon, if it doesn't click on all three of those with a clear pathway, it's not the right time for us. You need direct reps that can be on a guaranteed salary that can go fight that fight for four or five years and prime the market and then give us a shout deviating here. We do take on, we have a product right now that's actually kind of in that phase 
that I'm really passionate about, it's going to be a three or four year investment for us before there's really anything there just because they're working through a couple of those phases. That's perfect. The hospital system, and to your point, and this, I asked you this because I know that you were going to go back to, hey, here's how it was 10 plus years ago, and here's how it is today. It's vastly different. Like the other day, I, I was submitting. So I have great relationships at this uh, surgical hospital, but I was submitting through Metaproof, a product where I was essentially typing in on an online form what the codes were, what the reimbursement was, what the, and a third party is looking at this completely separate from the surgical hospital. Now, this is not a big system, right? This is a standalone. As I'm typing this thing, I'm like, this is wild. I'm in here typing this and, and, and time's one thing. We know it's going to take a while, but it might take 90 days plus. I mean, depending on the system, but to your point, I think if spine surgery in general, I think if you have some big spine surgeons where they, I mean, let's be real about it. I mean, they bring the revenue to the hospital, right? A lot of the revenue comes from spine. If people think they can walk into a medical device job, and that's what my brother does when he first got into it, and I tell everybody who asks me, selling the product to the surgeon or the physician is step one of like five or six. You got to know the insurances. You got to know the what is the hospital? Where do they go? You know, where are they invested? Where are they not invested? You know, where are they? And again, it's it's all market dependent, but there's so much more to the medical device game than just selling a product, which is why I love it. Well, Jamie, you mentioned something interesting. You said you were sitting down and filling out one of these forms, which we routinely do. And frankly, as you get busier, you're going to start asking your vendor partners to have somebody internally that can help you out with that because it's very, very cumbersome. But having said that, I do dream of a world, and I think it isn't that far away, where especially with the movement of our procedures towards the ASC and that being a little bit more boutique our goal is for these folks to truly look at us as a partner in this thing. Of course, we're out to make a profit. I didn't start a business for free, but at the end of the day, we understand contracting. We understand what this could do for their facility in regards to both reimbursement and volume. We know that we could potentially drive more physicians to their ASC because it's whatever the case may be that we think there's an opportunity that these facilities will actually start leaning on us. I think the last decade or two has really pitted us against hospitals and facilities. And I actually feel a movement kind of back the other way, that if you develop the right relationships and you're consistent enough over a long enough period of time, that they're reaching out to us in a more consultative manner, as long as you're treating them fairly, that you'll have opportunities to, you'll still fill out the forms, but it'll be much more consultative. You hit the button, man. You say consulting. And so you have a, also have a consulting business. And so can you talk a little bit about that and kind of what you do with that side of it? I know that's kind of like, I wouldn't say it's a side hustle. It's a portion of your business, but you know, it's something that you do solo, right? Brett Boudiscay, who is the president and CEO of, of Stratus Medical, started MedTech Advisors and essentially what they were looking for, and we might even be called MedTech Consultants, I don't remember, but ultimately there was an appetite from other startup companies for folks who had been in that kind of middle to upper sales management just for either market research or feedback about launch strategies and that type of thing. And so, you know, we were both experiencing a relatively high level of calls about those types of discussions. And so we formalized it. It kind of comes and goes a little bit in terms of the volume of those things, because at the time, Brett was independent and consulting for a lot of companies. Now he's the CEO of a company and kind of comes and goes with me a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think the overall appetite in the market right now is if you have an aptitude for understanding launch strategy, 
for understanding all these different market dynamics that go into, I mean, literally you pull one pin out of those 10 things we've mentioned that it takes for a product to be like really successful, something that people would want to invest in. If you know how to identify those things and you can either tip a company off to, Hey, you need to address this and here's the way to navigate the societies to get that recommendation. This is the way to, you know, maybe work with the reimbursement team to get that part of your thing figured out. It's valuable, right? And with all the startup activity right now, they don't want to hire 10 people right out of the gates to answer all these questions. They want to have a couple of key employees and they want to have a board and some consultants that can help them get through that initial phase. And so we actually did that with Stratus Medical and Brett and I did a very thorough four-month review of everything that company had been through, the product had been through, what was in the marketplace. And we presented to a big group of venture capitalists and they loved it and they picked it up. And as you're seeing with Stratus, the rest is history. It was something. And so we were kind of glad to get that feather in our cap a little bit to show that, you know, we do really know how to evaluate these things and we're hoping to get to do more of it in the future. I think that's really fun. You've probably made a reputation in the companies you've worked with. And I think part of it is just letting people know you're interested in that. I'm not getting rich off consulting. It's really more just like, I like to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on and stay close with those things. And the networking is phenomenal. You're just going to meet a lot of people who are doing cool stuff. And, you know, who knows when you're going to need your next opportunity. You absolutely never know. I'm like the biggest fan. You're talking to the biggest fan of networking there ever was. You can't meet enough people in this industry. You can't. And especially the successful ones. Like you want to go out and put yourself out there and meet the right people because you never know. You absolutely never know. The world is, it's a big world, but it's also a very... I mean, people say it all the time, but it's, it is a very small world. I mean, just in general. So, I mean, people cross paths all the time when they think they won't. And that's why you never, that's why you never leave burning a bridge. You never burn any bridges. And that's for anybody out there listening, do not. I mean, I, I'm happy to say that I am. You try not to burn anything on the way out if you do end up leaving a company because you never know. You never know what can happen down, down the line and who you might be working with in the future. So, no, I can say unequivocally. of the little tiffs that happen in our industry are absolutely not worth it. Typically people are fighting about nickels when there's dollars to be made and it's, it's stay focused, you know, know who you are, know what your mission is, what your goals are. And very rarely, even if someone does cross you or tells your competitor something, you know, one of your customers, something that's wrong about your product, like very rarely is it actually worth getting into it over it. Just stay focused on the positives about what you're doing. And over time, you're going to win out. Absolutely, man. I would just look down at the clock. Let's wrap this thing up, bro. Awesome. Any kind of last pieces of advice? I mean, I, I did want to ask you too. It's kind of on the spot. I don't know if I texted you about this prior, but so if Nick Roseman 10 years ago could give, what am I trying to say, bro, on this? If I remember hearing this kind of in one way or another, it's what's something you wish you knew 10 years ago? That yes. Yes, man. That's it. Yeah. Right. Like I kind of go back to what I said about like, I would have failed. Like if I had started my distributorship in my own business and I had years ago failed in other entrepreneurial endeavors, but like you just don't know what you don't know then. Right. And I think if I had to go back and say one thing that as a, 28-year-old punk trying to figure it out is exactly what I just told you, frankly. Just have a goal, know what you're all about, and focus on on that goal. Because there's so many distractions in this business. Competition is high. You have a tough case with a surgeon. And it would work me up. I'd like spiral for a day or two, right? It'd be like, oh my gosh, am I going to lose this account? Or is this guy really going to get this business? I saw his business card in the doctor's desk. And it was like, 
and frankly, I've just really migrated towards like, I can't stress any of that stuff. Stay focused on you pick these products for a reason. You've been around these docs for a long time. Just keep doing the right thing and they're going to continue to deliver for you. And when you're 28, 25, you're new in the business, like you don't have that confidence, right? So I think I just would have had the confidence back then to, you know, continue to do the best I could and not stress the small stuff. Yeah, look, control the controllables. It's one of there my favorite. Yeah, it's exactly. literally one of my favorite quotes. I mean, control what you could control and then that's it. And trust me too, I'm with you and, and we'll kind of leave it at this. I've had tough cases with docs and you leave and I've left there and the same as yourself and spot and like, it's all I think about for two days. But you know, as you get a little bit older and you age in this business, you you just control the controllables and that's all you can do, right? And you just kind of continue on. But I know we're coming to an end, but I want to clarify one thing there because it's a very fine line between becoming cavalier and comfortable in what we do and being okay with not a perfect implant or being okay yeah. with a perfect outcome or not doing the follow-up with the doc that he asked you to versus actually stressing over it. You know what I mean? And so I think we've learned uh, actually working slow is fast, just not like doing anything knee-jerk and just saying, okay, let's kind of talk about it tomorrow morning, figure out what happened in that case. You know, let's not freak the doc out. Let's sit back. Yeah. Down <laughs> let's sit back down with them the next time and, and just say, hey, you know, that obviously was suboptimal. We take some responsibility. Like, what do you think we could do differently? And if they know you're, you're focusing on continuing to try to get better, then it's all good. But I just, it, it worries me when people kind of get to a certain point and they, they kind of lose the edge, right? We still live in that, like what we consider hopefully a healthy level of paranoia, but not to the point where it, it paralyzes you and you're not able to move forward. Right. I mean, look, and, and again, like, I don't, I don't want to continue to care, but I, but I do want to say this and I agree with you. Every way, man. Like, I'm in OCD when it comes to my stuff in the OR. And, and so are the physicians I work with, right? And everybody's in there. We're in there for the patient. And so slow is fast. And sometimes you just got to take the moment in, breathe. If it's not going right, I think the worst thing you can do in the operating room, you've been in hundreds of cases, man, is panic. When they see that you panic, then there's mass panic. And then the staff's panicking and then... So it's just know your product, control what you can control, and also, you know, be OCD with it. That's all about preparation. You shouldn't have to say sorry in the OR. You should not have to say sorry in the OR. If you're saying sorry, it's because you weren't prepared. Something went wrong that you didn't anticipate, right? And so you can be apologetic and sympathetic, but if you're saying sorry, I tell my guys, like, if you're saying sorry, that's on you. And you still need to say you're sorry if you did something wrong. But you better never have to say it again to the same surgeon because yeah. that's, that's a preparation thing. Yeah. No. And we'll end it on that, man. But listen, thank you for coming on, Nick. You've been amazing, man. And we're absolutely going to do a part two. I think we got plenty to chew on here, but I'm sure that we can we'll, we'll have you back on again and we'll kind of continue the conversations. And you can find Nick Gross. He's on. I know for a fact because I just looked at it. He's on LinkedIn and also we're connected, but he's on LinkedIn. Nick Grossman. I mean, I'm just speaking for him, I guess now. It's just, it's, can they reach out to you? Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's do it. I love your dialogue. Again, I go in peaks and valleys of my social media and like outreach and stuff, but this has kind of inspired me to get back involved. So hit me up on LinkedIn and let's have some fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of MedDevice Unleashed. If you like this episode, go ahead and hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, maybe even leave us a review. It helps us continue the mission and reach as many people as possible with this podcast. Again, appreciate the support and see you next time.